All right. Good to see everyone here tonight. We are going to continue on our series of teachings on effortless living. Let me make sure my mic is on here tonight. I think it is. It is. Can you hear me? Okay. So uh, let me just say, announce here that I have a new book on uh, What About Those Bodies? I entitled it, I Am Indestructible, Incorruptible, Immortal, Eternal, Begotten of Life. And in parenthesis, it says, What About Those Bodies? Now, people can get these at lulu.com. Those of you that are here will receive your book. Mary, would you or someone come and get this? One of you girls, just come and get this. Um, you will receive one next week, next Sunday, when we have our Christmas dinner. And, pardon? Just put it on the chair. Just hang on to it. Yeah. So next week is our Christmas party, our Christmas get-together. So I am looking forward to that. How many of you are looking forward to our Christmas party next week and our Christmas dinner? It's going to be fun. We always have a ball. And uh, I may be uh, ministering just a little bit. I have been putting together a message that I have entitled Mystical Christmas. And what I want to share with you, most of you have probably heard of Handel's Messiah, right? Do you know that that was composed around music or around scripture, excuse me, around scripture? And I'm going to allegorically unpack Handel's Messiah to you next week. Uh, and then also the song, uh, how does that song go? We were talking about Mary, did you know? Mary, did you know? I was looking at that song today, and I realized that that whole song is really talking about us. Mary's in you, the virgin consciousness. The manger's in you. The sun is in you. The working all the miracles and doing greater. As Jesus said, these things shall you do and greater. All of that is in that song. And all of that is in the piece that was orchestrated by George Frederick Handel as Handel's Messiah. And so we're going to dig into that allegorically next Sunday for a little while. But tonight I want to go, if you have your Bibles or your devices that you use, I want to go to Titus 2 verse 10. And what we're going to be talking about tonight is the last two offspring of agape love, which are faith and temperance. Now, if you recall, when we started, not just effortless living, but once we got into Galatians, into the fruit of the Spirit, I shared with you how that it is the fruit not of the Holy Spirit, and the King James says the fruit of the Spirit with a capital S, and that is wrong. You see, the New Testament was written in all caps. So the translators had no clue when to put a small S on spirit or a capital S on spirit, leave the capital S on spirit. Uh, They had no clue. They had to judge by the context. And so the fruit is really the fruit of, when it's manifested, the spirit, lowercase. And so in two weeks, I'm going to do a message on that and show you how one plus one equals one. In God's economy. I did this message 20 years ago, but I have so much more to add to it. When we manifest this, the offsprings of the fruit of agape love, the offspring, the manifestation, the bearing of that fruit that comes out of us is another thing. It is the spirit, small s on spirit. It's like when a man and a woman have a child That child is not the man or the woman has their traits, yes, but it's another entity. It's another individual. And so I want to share that in two weeks after, not next week, but in two weeks, I want to share that with you. But tonight, what I want to do, as I said, remember I categorized the fruit of the spirit into four categories. And I said that love, God is love, but so are we because we're one in him. And then the next two, joy and peace, when we're flowing from the inside out, that's our natural state and experience subjectively. And then we have long-suffering, gentleness, goodness. Now, the next one, and of course, I'm not going to talk about meekness because when we talked about gentleness, we talked about meekness. It was one and the same, basically one and the same. So tonight, we'll talk about the last two, which is faith and temperance. 
And so what it says here in Galatians 5.22 is, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, and then listen, the next word seems like it's out of place. Faith. Because this is the third section, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, goodness, that relates to others and how we respond to others. So what does faith have to do with it? Well, we're going to find out. Because it is not necessarily the faith as when we're talking about the faith of the Son of God that we have. This word faith is really fidelity. So you can see how it fits in our relationship with others. You can see how the long-suffering and gentleness and meekness and goodness and fidelity fit when it comes to our relationship with other people. Another word that is used for faith here is also simply faithfulness. Faithfulness. Can you be faithful to people? Well, absolutely. You can be faithful to people. You know, we don't hear of the word fidelity very much, fidelity. What we do hear is the word infidelity. When people are talking about a spouse who is unfaithful to another individual. So fidelity is a word that, you know, how words come and go and they just kind of pass off the scene. Fidelity happens to be one of them. But this word faith here is fidelity when you look it up. Now, look what it says in Titus 2 and verse 10. And this is referring to servants that relate to their masters, or you could say uh, a boss that, uh, how you relate to your boss if you have a boss, okay? So it says there in Titus 2.10, not purloining, that means not stealing, not stealing, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. Now, fidelity, another word that we could use for fidelity in relationship to other people that we have is loyalty. So you can see how it fits. Long-suffering, meekness, gentleness, right? You can see how this fidelity fits. Being loyal to people. Fidelity is the word pistis and in Strong's this number 3982 and it's defined as persuasion, credence, Moral conviction. So while this word fidelity is found in the King James and is found in the New King James, it is not found in any other translations. But in the New English Standard and the New American Standard Bible, it's there, but it's there as good faith. So you can see good faith plays into our relationship with other people. Other translations have faith there as Fully trustable or trustworthy. So you can see how fidelity fits in with loyalty in relationship to other people and how it fits in with this fidelity or this loyalty or being fully trusted or being trustworthy. All of those words is what faith here means. Because like I said, when I read that and came to faith, I thought, well, that word sticks out like a sore thumb. But once you begin to research it, you find out a little bit differently. So simply put, in a biblical context, fidelity is honesty. Well, that has to do with people, right? Truthfulness, faithfulness, loyalty. And we know that all that is already ingrained within us and is being generated within us as we walk in this one fruit of agape love. So we can see why now that in its category, faith relates to other people and our relationship with other people. And we can see how it fits in then with long-suffering and the third category, long-suffering and gentleness and meekness and so forth. Faith fits very keenly right there. Now, Noah Webster stated this about fidelity. He said, we expect fidelity in a public minister, in an agent or trustee, in a domestic servant, and in a friend. We expect fidelity or loyalty or trustfulness. He also states, although fidelity is expected, we live in a time when it's waning. 
Those entrusted with the gift of relationship, be it family, friends, employees, congregants, patients, clients, etc., all too often lose focus and lack concern for the needs and the feelings of others. Fidelity is only present when we seek the good of others, even at our own expense. So how do we experience fidelity in each of our lives? It has to begin by joining masculine and feminine together. It has to begin by putting on the Christ mind, putting on the renewing mind. It has to be by living from the inside out. I remember when I talked about uh, Jacob in Genesis chapter 32, and I made a statement, and I said, do not trust anyone who doesn't walk with a limp. What does that mean? Because remember, his thigh was touched, and from that point on, he walked with a limp. Don't trust anybody who doesn't walk with a limp. What does that mean? Don't trust people that walk in the flesh more than they walk in the spirit. That's really what it means. That's really what it means. So if we're going to stay with this faith word here in Galatians 5 and verse 22, we can say that people have faith in you being loyal. If we're going to stick with the word faith and not look up the meanings, we're going to stick with this word having faith in you being loyal where your relationships are concerned being trustworthy, being faithful where your relationships are concerned. But you know what the problem is? In the midst of the people that it should not be true of, you find very little fidelity even in the midst of the body of Christ. And that's a sad commentary. That's a sad thing. Now let me give you some different manifestations of fidelity, fidelity, And break this down. Number one, fidelity to one's word. Our word needs to be our bond. Number two, fidelity to one's promises. Don't make a promise to anyone if you can't fulfill it. That's fidelity. That's faith where other people are concerned. That's trustfulness where other people are concerned. That's loyalty where other people are concerned. Number three, and fidelity to the Father concerning vows that we have maybe made, and then things did not go the way we thought they should go, and we did not keep that vow. Now, God is a forgiving God, but you see, it's on us. It's on us when we make vows and don't keep those vows. So, fidelity is a virtue closely allied to being truthful, being honest, being faithful, And even in the natural order, fidelity is a virtue, even in the natural, it is truth in action. So what we see today in a lot of social gatherings, in a lot of groups all across the world today, we see that this fidelity has broken down. And so therefore, the family, community, church, and state, there's very little trustworthiness anymore. And it's like, in fact, it is a house divided against itself. A house cannot stand if we are not exercising fidelity. The fruit of agape love being faith, loyalty, and faithfulness. Now, let me give you some examples in the Old Testament. Now, I told you we're going to talk about two tonight, and we're going to finish up the fruit here. The fruit of agape love. The offspring of agape love. And in the Old Testament, in Exodus, I'm just going to give these to you. In Exodus 34 and verse 6, and Psalm 89, our Father is called the Rock of Israel. Why? Because the truth of his words and the solidness of his promise is everlasting and will never be broken. One thing he cannot do is lie. One thing our Father cannot do is tell us something, promise something. We have over 7,000 promises in the Word of God. He cannot give us a promise and not fulfill that promise. If the promise does not appear to be fulfilled, it's not on him. It's on us. It's on us. It's on us not putting on our Christ mind. It's on us not 
putting on the renewing mind. It's on us not continually joining masculine and feminine. It has nothing to do with God not fulfilling a promise. In Psalm 36, 5, it says, Thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens, and thy faithfulness reaches unto the clouds. So he is faithful. Psalm 78 talks about the fidelity of the Lord contrasted sharply with the infidelity of the children of Israel. Now, even though Abraham, and we can read about it, and even though Moses had their faults, they were the greatest models of fidelity. And of course, perfect fidelity was found then in Jesus Christ. And so especially now, when a lot of people are being tested to go this direction and that direction, and you can see it all over Facebook, they're preaching and teaching stuff that's woo-woo and out here. And, and that's okay if we receive new truth and fresh revelation. But let's stick to the foundation because as scripture says, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? But you see, fidelity cannot be assumed just because a person calls themselves a believer or a Christian. It demands fidelity, faithfulness, loyalty, demands constant focus and constant living from within. Now, our next one, if you would look in, and you don't have to turn there, but if you look in Galatians 5, the next fruit that we would come to would be meekness. But as I said, since we talked about meekness quite a bit in gentleness, the word gentleness, that fruit, I'm going to bypass that one, and I'm going to go right to temperance. What is temperance? This is the last one. The fruit of agape love is temperance. In the Greek, it's number 1466, and it refers to self-control. But it goes beyond that. gives another number, 1468, which means masterful or strong in a thing. And I'm going to give you how this works. It, it works in five different areas. This temperance works in five different areas that I call the five T's. It works in the tongue. Talking about temperance now. Self-control, masterful or strong in a thing. Five T's. It works in the tongue. How many know death and life are in the power of the tongue? So we need to speak life. Have temperance where speaking life is concerned. It works in the thoughts. We're to think no evil thought. Our father doesn't, so we shouldn't. And he tells us what to focus upon. And we know where focus goes, energy flows. So tongue, thoughts. Here's a big one. Temper. The hardest place to control your temper is on the road, on the highway. Because there's people that just drive like idiots. So can we control our temper? We may not give the bird or anything. You know, some people will give you the, you know, the bird if you don't do on the highway what they think you ought to do. You don't have to do that. You could just think in your mind, in your awareness, negative thoughts about that person. So tongue, thoughts, temper, Time and tummy. Say it again. Self-control or temperance must be activated, manifested in the five T's, the tongue, the thoughts, the temper, the time, and the tummy right here. Now, when we think of temperance in relationship to self-control, we often, now listen to this, we often think in terms of discipline. And certainly there is a place for discipline. Don't misunderstand. There is a place for that, but many times discipline, if it doesn't move into effortless living, yeah. it's just behavior modification. Right. It's just me trying to act a certain way or be a certain way apart from living from the inside out. So discipline's okay, and we all start with discipline in many areas of spiritual life, but if it doesn't end up in eventually living this out effortlessly, then something is wrong. So in order to demonstrate temperance, 
we must tap into the power of our spirit, which is more than just disciplining. You can do that living from the outside. But we must tap into the power of the spirit within us, into agape love, and begin to live from the inside out instead of the outside in. You see, because it's called the fruit of the spirit, right? The fruit of the spirit, spiritual living. You know, Zechariah said in Zechariah 4, 6, it is not by might, and you all know I add a few words there, it is not by mental might, it's not just by positive thinking, it is not by physical power, discipline only, or what you do, or what you don't do, but it is by my spirit, saith the Lord. So it's by what? Not by might, mental might, positive thinking. Not by power, not by discipline alone, but by my spirit. What I hear in that is eventually when I have disciplined myself where the fruit is concerned, I eventually will come to the place to where the fruit just effortlessly grows and is manifested. As I've said many times, you don't see a tree struggle to bear fruit. And we are trees of righteousness. And we need to finally come to the place where we begin to just live this life effortlessly without fighting and without struggling. You know, there's a scripture that says, well, the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. Yes, when you're living from the outside and when you're only periodically living from the inside, oh, you're going to have all kinds of fights. But when we begin, and you know, practice makes perfect, when we begin to practice the presence of the Lord, living from the presence of the Lord, will eventually be brought by the Spirit of God to the place to where we effortlessly live this out. Now, let me give you a few examples. Let's go to Acts chapter 4 and verse 23. Acts chapter 4 and verse 23 And I want to look at several examples in Acts and then in the book of Psalms, Psalm 103, and then the last one in John chapter 8. But the one here in Acts chapter 4 and verse 33 says, And with great power, a little power? No, great power, with great power, gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And look what happened. And great grace was upon them all. See? So where there is great grace, listen, there is great power. And power in manifestation. See, in the book of Acts, when people heard the good news and really were gripped, not so much them gripping it, but they were gripped by that truth. You know what happened? Everything about their life between their ears began to change. 1 Corinthians 1.18 tells us what the power of God is. It's the preaching of the cross. Now, it's the preaching of the cross the right way, not penal substitutionary atonement, but the no penal substitution that God loved us so much that when we got all confused by religion, he allowed Jesus to go to the cross to expose the lies. The veil was rent in our mind, and his resurrection then revealed the truth That was always the truth about us. So the preaching of the cross, the example of ministering the great power of the resurrection is what causes us then to experience this great grace, which changes everything about our lives. Now, Psalm 103, let's look at another example. Psalm 103 Verses 1 through 5, Psalm 103, verses 1 through 5, for another great example. And look what it says here in Psalm 103, verse 1. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the people. We're to make known his deeds among the people. When we have a spiritual experience or something takes place that changes in the realm of our body, or whatever it is, we are to testify and let people know about that, not just keep it to ourselves. When good, great, godly things happen in our life, we need to share that. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Verse 2, 
Sing unto him. Sing psalms unto him. You ever sing unto him? Maybe in the tub or the shower? Sing unto the Lord. Talk ye of all his wondrous works. That should be our conversation. That should be our conversation. Now what's going on in the Middle East? Now what's going on in Israel with Hamas? Now we care about that. Certainly we do. But we are a people that want to see the whole earth full of the glory of God. That's the highest form of prayer we could pray for those people. And the people in Ukraine that are going through all that stuff that they're going through. We're to talk about our Father's wondrous works. Verse 3, glory ye in his name. Glory is what? It's the view and the opinion of the Father. Now, it also means to exalt. So we exalt his name among one another. We also talk of the view and the opinion of the Father to one another. Glory ye in his name, his nature, his way. Name means nature, character, and way. Let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord. Verse 4, seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face evermore at all times. Verse 5, remember his marvelous works that he hath done, his wonders and the judgments or the decisions of his mouth. Now we can see in every statement here in Psalm 103, every statement in every one of these verses, it's filled with good news and positive talking. Words, speech. We see no condemnation here. And what is good news connected to? Good news is simply connected to great power and great grace. Because the gospel is the good news. It's the good news of the gospel. And as we talk about that, then we begin to experience the great power of God and the glory of God more and more. See, we see no con- I see no condemnation in any one of these verses in Psalm 103. No condemnation, no guilt whatsoever in any of those verses, no mark missing, nothing except the good news of the gospel. See, the law people of focusing on good and evil is strength of the flesh. The focusing on good and evil gives strength. It's the strength of the flesh. It is the force. I had someone call me up the other day, and uh, this, this young couple wanted a little counseling. And the first thing that I said to them was, I'm not going to give you a rule. I'm not going to give you a law. Do you know why? And the man finished the sentence, because the law is the strength of sin. I said, bingo. Exactly. So I begin to give them the principles of the truth and I begin to show them what the higher excellence of the Father is in the situation that they were having. The law is the strength of sin. The law is the force of sin. So we don't want to be speaking of law and you better do this and you better do the other. And oh, I always fall short every time, every day. Don't talk about that. I don't care how many times you fall short in a day. Don't utter it out of your mouth. Confess who you are. Talk to yourself about who you are. You're not a worm. You're not a nobody. You didn't come here as a sinner. You didn't come here upright, upright, unrighteous. You came here upright. You came here upright. You came here righteous and holy. That's how we all came here. But all religion has confused the issue. You know why? They've given us the law. And what did it do? It strengthened it strengthened condemnation within us. It strengthened. It was the force of thinking we were a nobody and a nothing. Another example is in John 8. If you want to turn there, I'm going to read that. John chapter 8, verses 10 and 11. And these are just some examples here of great grace and great power and the good news of the gospel and how that that needs to be our focus. And when it is, I haven't left my subject, when it is, you're going to be walking in temperance. You're going to be walking in self-control. Why? Because all of that is agape love. The good news is the agape love. And that's what gives you the strength to rise up and walk in the love of the Father rather than condemning yourself and others. Here's another example. And this is the woman that was caught 
in the very act of adultery. In John 8, verses 10 and 11, look what it says in verse 10. I mean, these, these dudes caught this woman in the very act of adultery. And I believe they were testing Jesus to see what he would do. Let's see how much of a grace guy this man Jesus is. And so these religious dudes thought that he was going to stone her because that's what the law said. You catch someone in adultery, you stone them. But we know Jesus didn't act according to the law whatsoever. He manifested the agape love, the grace of the Father. So look what it says here, John 8, verse 10. When Jesus had lifted up himself, after they came and accused her in front of Jesus or to Jesus, when Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none of the none but the woman let me read that again when jesus had lifted up himself because remember he was riding the ground and saw none but the woman he said unto her woman where are all thine accusers have no man condemned thee she said no man lord and jesus said unto her neither do i condemn thee go and sin no more So in other words, the power to overcome and for her to go and sin no more, and of course sin is mistaken identity. The reason she committed adultery in the first place was because she had mistaken identity. She didn't know who she was. And so out of the mistaken identity came the sins, plural. And so you see the power to overcome is found in the gift of no condemnation. And so when Jesus said, go and sin no more, again, he wasn't giving her a law to keep. He wasn't giving her another rule to keep through discipline, through temperance, through self-control from the outside. But listen, when he stooped down the second time and he wrote in the ground, how many know in the parable of Jesus, the sower sows the seed, he said the ground is the heart. I call it the heart awareness. So the second time he stooped over and he wrote in the ground, he was etching within her ground, within her heart and mind, rather than giving her a law and giving her a rule that she couldn't keep anyhow. Eventually, she would break it if she didn't know who she was. So you see, what happened is she then, in that second writing in the ground, had the revelation conceived and quickened within her, and effortlessly she was able to go out and sin no more or have no more mistaken identity and no more sins of the flesh that manifested within her life. That's it right there. So you see, if Jesus had given her a law of temperance, now, honey, you better discipline yourself. You better go out and have control over this adultery thing. That very law and very rule would have been a force or empowered her to go out and do it more because the law is the strength or the force of sin. What are we talking about? Temperance, self-control. It's more than a discipline. It's living from the word that's written upon the tablets of your heart and your mind. Someone says, doesn't it have anything to do with the Bible? Well, the Bible just confirms what's written upon your heart and upon your mind. So live out of that which has been conceived and quickened and etched in the ground of your heart in your virgin consciousness. consciousness. Another example is in Ephesians. Let's all go back to this one if you have a Bible with you or device. Ephesians 3, and this one is so important. Ephesians 3, 18 and 19. And what we see here is love exemplified. In other words, we see the love, we see the width of it, the length of it, the depth of it, the height of it, which pictures the four corners of the cross. And Paul here in Ephesians emphasizes, in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul here is emphasizing the love, listen, of Christ. Now, there's a difference between the love of Christ and love for Christ. He's not talking about how much you love Christ. He wasn't talking to them about they better love Christ. You know, like in Revelation, it says, uh, was it the Ephesus, church at Ephesus? They left or lost their first love. 
But it wasn't that they quit loving him. They lost the focus of how much he loved them. Because that's the force and that's the power, you see, of this temperance that we're talking about. So Paul is praying here in Ephesians chapter 3 for them to have a revelation of the Father's love for them rather than their love for him. And then it goes on to say that the result of that is that they would be filled with the fullness of God. And the word filled means literally controlled. Want to be controlled by the love of God? Want to be controlled in every one of these offspring of the fruit of agape love? Know the love of God for you. Know the love of God for you. Don't focus on your love for him. But no, see, because he first loved us, that's why we can then love him. See, first love is, is for us, the love of the Father, the love of Christ for us. Now, look what it says here in, what did I tell you, Ephesians 3 and verse 18 and 19. May be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth, and height, verse 19, and to know the love for, of, of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you might be filled, and that word is controlled, with all the fullness of God. And listen, when we are controlled, when you are controlled by it, then guess what? You're full of it. I'm full of it. Full and overflowing hey. until it becomes effortless living. When you're controlled by it, you are then effortlessly living the spiritual life where agape love is concerned and all of the other offspring of agape love, including temperance, just naturally, organically, spontaneously flows out of you. You know, I've heard people over the years say, well, you know, if you do this or you do that, you'll be filled with the Spirit. Now, there may be some truth to that, but once you understand the word filled is pleroma and it means be controlled by, and you'll be controlled by when you come to the understanding and the truth of the love of Christ, of the Father for you, has been conceived and quickened within your heart awareness. Now, it doesn't stop there. Paul didn't even stop there. Look at verse 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, listen, according to the power that worketh in us. In other words, Father God becomes big in our lives, beyond natural understanding, when we embrace and have a revelation of his love for us. And notice it says here, he'll not just manifest exceedingly or abundantly, but exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask or think. And it's all connected with us having the revelation of the love of the Father for us, not our love for him. Now, go back to Matthew. Matthew 11, verse 28. Matthew 11, 28. And Jesus here is talking to a people that are under the law, the burden of the law. The burden of the law. He's talking to a people that were struggling and laboring under the law of trying to please the Father. He was referring here to a people that had carried the yoke and the heavy burden of legalism and of the law. And look what he says to them in Matthew eleven twenty eight: Come unto me. Don't come unto the law. Come unto me. You know, there's a scripture, and is it one of John or one of the little John books that says, you search the scriptures and in them you think you have eternal life, but these be they that testify of me. So in a sense, he's saying, leave all of your rules, leave all of your 
legalism, leave all of those rules that you could write in a little book externally and go read them every day, leave all of that, he says, and come unto me. Come unto me. All ye that labor under the law and are heavy laden by the law, and I... You ought to circle that in your Bible if you believe in writing in your Bibles. And I will give you rest. So he was referring to them ceasing from their own self-efforts and discipline, I could add, and staying there with that discipline all of their lives and not having it move them into effortless living. He's referring to ceasing from their own self-efforts and also ceasing from the discipline that they think they have to do to please the Father. See, because listen, what does the law do? The law demands, but grace imparts. The law says do good, get good, do bad, get bad. And every religion says that, oh, if you'll just discipline yourself enough, God's going to bless you. And most of them are preaching just a legalistic law of sowing and reaping and they haven't learned one single solitary thing yet about the love of the Father and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Very few minister effortless living. Now I know some that are ministering effortless change, but I'm looking for effortless living from the inside out. And then it will change this. That that needs to change will change between our ears. So how are we to manifest this agape love here where temperance is concerned? Number one, we just read it, by feeding on him, by learning of him, by embracing his love, his love for us, by focusing on his love for us, not worrying about our love for him. Right. That's what it's talking about. His love for us, once we get a revelation of his love, let me show it to you. Go to Matthew 4. Once we get a revelation of his love for us, or the love of, O-F, the love of God, the love of Christ, then we're going to get somewhere where effortless living is concerned and where this temperance, self-control is concerned. It becomes way more than self-control. It then becomes Christ-control where he is leading our lives, directing our lives. Matthew 4, 1 through 4. And this is when Jesus was met with his first temptation. And he heard the words here, command these stones to be made bread. Now, let me give you the allegory of this because he was actually tempted here to draw his nourishment from the law. Turn these stones into bread. Now, you have to realize Jesus had fasted 40 days. He'd come to the end of the 40 days. That's when the hunger returns. Of course, the man was hungry. And so he was tempted to take these stones, as it says there, command these stones to be made bread so he'd have something to eat to quench his hunger. What is the allegory here? Had he been tempted, I mean, had he turned these stones into bread, he would have been drawing his nourishment from legalism and from the law. See, that's the allegory of that. But what did he say? Listen to what he said. He said, I live not by bread alone, natural bread alone, I don't live by nourishment from the law, is what he was saying allegorically. He was saying, I live by every word. Now listen to this. Every word that not proceeded or will proceed, I live by every word that proceedeth, continually proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And what had the Father just said to Jesus right before he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted? And it says tempted of the devil, but that's a reflexive pronoun, which means the temptation came out of his own lust because he was hungry. I'm not going to get into that. Did a whole message on that a long time ago. But what did, what did, what was, what did the Father say to Jesus right before this temptation? This is my beloved son, in whom I, and the Greek says, was well pleased. 
King James says, my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And Jesus hadn't done a miracle. He hadn't fed the thousands. He hadn't healed anyone. He hadn't opened any blind eyes, deaf ears. And so when this temptation came upon him, the power of him to overcome was the fact that I don't have to please my father because he's already pleased with me. It was the love of the father for the son that caused him to be able to organically and effortlessly overcome this temptation. The love of the father. This is my beloved son in whom I was well pleased. That was his focus when he was tempted. That he was already pleasing to the father. That he didn't have to do anything to please the father. That's the love of the father, folks. That's the love of Christ. That's the love of the father for him. So all of this that we see listed in Galatians chapter 5, 21 and 22, every offspring of the fruit flows out of the agape love of God. But listen, it's not our love for him. It's his love for us. So in closing, temperance is a mark of maturity, spiritual maturity. And it manifests, I'm going to give you four ways it manifests. There's others, I'm sure. But it manifests in four ways. Number one, willingness to accept responsibility. Now, not responsibility to walk according to the law or legalism, not responsibility that I've got to do this, that, or the other to make my father love me. No. Willingness to accept the responsibility to do from already done. Number two, it'll manifest in delaying or it delays self-gratification. Self-gratification. Because many times when we are not involved in temperance, we're just looking for self-gratification. Yeah. Got to feed my flesh. But you know what? You owe the flesh nothing, Scripture says. Number three, it ignores insults. Oh, boy, that's a biggie right there for all of us. Been ex- any of you been insulted lately? Temperance will ignore the insults. Number four, It is a person that has temperance that can do the same thing. Listen, this is where we live. That can do the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over without seeing much results, if any results at all, and keep doing it through long periods of time to obtain the desired spiritual end. Now, as I said, in our next lesson on this series... We're going to talk about, and I know you've seen these phrases from time to time, the flesh and the spirit. And I'm going to show you why, and that may be our last lesson for effortless living. I don't know yet. But I'm going to show you why in the King James it talks about, in Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the spirit and spirit is capitalized. And as I told you before, all of the New Testament was written in all caps. Can you imagine? And so the translators had to figure out when they saw the word spirit, is that Holy Spirit? Is that spirit, capital S, spirit that we are joined to? Is that evil spirit? They had to figure out. What spirit, whether that word spirit needed to be capitalized or not capitalized. So you can imagine the dilemma that they were in. And so I want us to see, and I'm going to bring this out and show you why, that it is, in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, it is called the fruit of the spirit lowercase. I wrote four posts on it this week. Not exactly what I'm going to share with you, but a little bit, on the spirit and the flesh. And I found out that when you look at, in Noah Webster's older dictionary, one of the definitions of the flesh or the spirit, and primarily the spirit, is reflection, which I don't like to use that word, but that's what it was, 
reflection, expression, and manifestation. We are one, capital S, spirit in the Father. But what we manifest then is either the flesh, depending on what we've sown into our heart awareness, or the spirit. Now, if we sow the mind of Christ into our heart awareness, then the manifestation that comes out of us, that flows out of us from that, Paul called the spirit, lowercase spirit. And that's what we're going to look at. And I'll share with you how, and I think I shared this earlier, one plus one equals one in God's economy. In man's economy, one plus one is two. But in God's economy, in the spiritual world, one plus one is one. For example, a mother and a father have a child. That child is not the mother. That child is not the father. They have the traits, but a whole other different entity or individual. And that's the same way here. That's what we're going to unpack in a couple weeks. Not next Sunday, but in a couple weeks. Because I want us to see the dilemma that the translators were in. And I want us to see the difference. Because it's vitally important to know the difference between the flesh and the spirit, lowercase s. It'll help you to be able to live what we've been talking about in this series. Rather than discipline temperance rather than it just be discipline now again it may start in discipline and it probably does for all of us i know it has for me but i eventually was brought to the place to where it wasn't behavior modification anymore or just temperance or just self-control it became christ control because of tapping within and living out of the agape love that we are and then that constitutes the spirit so father we just thank you tonight for your truth your word Thank you for your living word. Thank you for an ear to hear, an eye to see, and a heart that is circumcised that can understand. Thank you for the truths that you brought to us, lo, these 35 years and beyond. We bless you. We honor you. Thank you for this group tonight. Yes, Lord. And we are a people that are going to endeavor yes. to come to the place to where it's not just discipline, but we're flowing organically and effortlessly in your agape love. Because of your love for us, we are empowered to do this. We thank you. In the name of the Lord, amen. Amen, amen. amen.